There are two prophets in the Old Testament. They were contemporaries. <clears throat> what I mean by that is that their ministries, their prophetic ministries, uh, were during the same season. The first prophet is Haggai. A very, very short book. And then the second prophet is Zechariah. And both of these prophets were used by God to speak to the people, God's people, following their exile. You probably hear it as captivity and Babylon, or the Babylon, Babylonian captivity, which we know was for 70 years. And you know, when you study that 70-year captivity, you know there were, <clears throat> there were prophets going in and there were prophets coming out. And after the 70 years, <clears throat> Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed. So when they came out of captivity, the call of God on their life and the prophetic, the, the prophetic instruction on their life was, first, go rebuild the temple. Go rebuild the temple. And when you, when you read and study Haggai and you study Zechariah, you find that's exactly what they did at first. They were just glad to be out of bondage. And I mean, they were working to rebuild the temple. But as you study these prophets, you'll know that they stopped. They didn't finish. They got about halfway. Kind of reminds me of how people are. We're famous for starting something, but we're not the best for finishing something. You know, it's kind of how... That's kind of how Israel was. And so Haggai and, and uh, Zechariah, they were there to speak the word of the Lord to the people and to challenge them and encourage them to do what God had said. Haggai dealt with the fact that they started building the temple and then they got their minds on restoring their homes and restoring their businesses and things like that. So they turned away from the temple and they started doing their own thing. Zechariah the prophet comes along and uh, man, all of a sudden, God just starts showing him stuff. And when you read the book of Zechariah, God gave him eight night visions and gave him a word to say to the people. And you can read about that word in chapter 1 of Zechariah, and I'll, I'll read it to you in a minute. But basically what the word was is, don't mess up like your ancestors did. You know, don't, don't sin and disobey. Don't make the same mistake that your ancestors made. You can read that in the first three verses of chapter 1 of Zechariah. Observe what you're doing. Turn. Return to God. And God will receive, will receive you. 
So it's in the midst of this great task that the prophet Zechariah is called to speak to the people that in chapter 4, beginning at verse 6, here's what Zechariah says. It's a word from the Lord. This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force or might, nor by power or strength, but it's by the Spirit, says the Lord of the armies of heaven. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, nothing, not even depression, shall stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it. May God bless it. Hallelujah. You know, when, when you read the book of Zechariah in its entirety, it's really a great book to use for training leaders. It's a great book for leadership training. Because there's two things that God really shows Zechariah and does for Zechariah. <clears throat> Number one, he gives visions. Zechariah was, he was given eight night visions from God. But in addition to the vision, he also showed the prophet what the people needed to do. See? Now, if you want to put that in today's language, God is still a God of vision. Amen? God still gives visions, right? Hallelujah. But we just can't sit around and just see visions. You know, I mean, it'd be pretty cool, but what is that? If, if all we're going to do is sit around and see visions, there's got to be more. And that's what Zechariah was telling the people. God is showing me these visions, but now he's also showing me what we need to do about it. See? See, vision is what you see. Purpose is what you do. There's a purpose for every vision that God gives you. So what he shows you, he also gives you the plan of what you do about it. I mean, you remember 2 Chronicles 7? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their evil ways. What did God say? Then, from heaven, hear from heaven, 
and I will heal your land. Second Chronicles 7 is a beautiful vision. It's a vision of renewal. It's a, revi- it's a vision of revival. It's a vision of restoration. But we, we not only see the vision, but we also see the result. God says, this is what I'll show you I want to do. But if you'll do something about it, here's how it's going to end up. The land is going to be healed. The people are going to be healed. God's grace is going to shine forth. God's power is going to be present. It's a vision. It's seeing. Now, I told you I would read. Let me read from you. Just listen to this. Here's what the prophet says in Zechariah 1. Starting at verse 2. prophet says, I, the Lord, was very angry with your ancestors. Now, he's talking about the group that was in captivity. He says, therefore, say to the people. Now, here's the prophetic word. Say to the people. This is what the Lord of heaven, armies, says. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Don't be like your ancestors who would not listen or pay attention when the earlier prophets said to them, this is what the Lord of heaven is saying. Turn from your evil ways and stop all of your evil practices. You know, one thing that I've learned in my short time on this planet it's biblical. You, you're seeing it in the word this morning in the book of Zechariah. If we fail to learn from our past, we'll repeat it. If we fail to learn from our past, we will repeat it. As far as the devil was concerned, I was destined to be a drunk. Now, you want me to explain that to you? Give me 30, 60 seconds. I grew up in alcoholism in Norfolk, Virginia. We did not go to church. We did not serve God. I was saved when I was 17 years old in the senior of high school. I grew up around drunkenness. I grew up around violence. I grew up around hatred. And in this environment, God gave my parents four children. I'm the second born, an older brother who is a Vietnam veteran. And from ever since he returned from Vietnam, he's lived with that condition that they didn't say much about it back in those days, but today we hear a lot about it. And for his entire life, he has lived socially awkward, never married. 
just renting a room and now lives with my mother in her elderly years. My younger brother died long before he should have died, 57 years old. I had to bury him in Prattville, Alabama from a drug addiction life, alcohol life, and price of abuse. One sister, pregnant in high school, two failed marriages, lived a rough life. I did not need Jesus because before I ever got saved, I had made a decision as a teenager. When I get away from this house, I'm not going to live like this. Now, there wasn't nobody counseling me, no church praying for me, except the universal church was praying for me. I just didn't understand that in those days. But I had consciously made a decision that what I saw, I didn't want no part of it. I didn't want to be caught up in alcohol, didn't want to be caught up in anger, didn't want to be caught up in abuse. I made that decision. But at 17, something happened. I learned about a God factor. And I would learn now that his hand was on me in those rocky days. I just didn't know it. I didn't have no spiritual, no spiritual insight. And when Christ saved me and with my determination that I wanted to make something out of my life and I did not want to go the way of how I was raised, he honored me for that and gave me a wonderful wife. Be 47 years here in just a few months. Two wonderful sons, wonderful grandchildren, And a church that has put up with me (laughs) for almost 50 years. Allowing me to preach in some of their best churches. Pastor some of their best people. Be a superintendent over the greatest conference in the denomination. Work in its Bible college. Serve in its general headquarters. All of that's just been the blessing and the favor of God. But back there at 15 years old, it would be later that I would learn a God factor was present right there. I just made the decision that I wasn't going to go that way. I wish my brother, my sister could have seen that and felt that way, but something I can't fully understand. I've prayed for all of them. My brother got saved before he died. My older brother, he's a, he, he's, a, he's a case, but we're working on him. My sister, she loves, she loves the Lord. My father died knowing Jesus. My mother will die knowing Jesus. But I'm just telling you that there's, a, there's what we call a, a, a God factor. 
And when the prophet goes before the people and says, listen, do not be like your ancestors. Return to God and God will return to you. And I'm sure that there, well, how is this going to be? How is this going to happen? And he comes forth and he says, you got to understand that it's not in your strength. And it's not in your own power or in your might. It's not by might, not by power. It's by the, the Spirit, says the Lord. And I want you to know that, that they would begin to understand. These people would begin to understand this God factor. And when you can align your life to the God factor, what does it do for you? What does the God factor do for everyone who's in attendance this morning and people all over the world? See, the God factor brings energy. The God factor energizes you. Just like it energized me. It's energized you. But it's in that energy that everybody will learn that tomorrow is going to be a better day. Tomorrow is going to be a better day. I love that little story, and I'm going to tell this and kind of close. I love that little story in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Um, I guess one reason that I enjoy it is because it's about a short man. You know, now, if you're with the Hispanics, you have to give us a kiss, a Zacchaeus. And I really don't understand how the Filipinos pronounce but, you know, we usually say Zacchaeus or some say Zacchaeus or whatever. Forget his name. He was a short man. That's why I like the story so much. He was a tax collector. And I believe he probably had cheated people. Because he had a little conversation with the master. And he made sure he got that in there. But Jesus is passing by. And uh, the, the crowds, just enormous crowds. And I know the feeling. Being a short guy, it's frustrating. That's why I always sit up front. Because if I'm going to church to hear my pastor, there's two things I want to be able to do. I want to be able to hear him and I want to be able to see him. So if I plant myself about halfway through the sanctuary, sure enough it's going to happen. That big old guy's going to sit right in front of me. Or that woman is going to plant herself in front of me and she has gone hairspray crazy. And I'm having to do this and do this and do this because I want to see my pastor and I want to hear my pastor preach. 
So the best thing to do is just sit at front. You don't have to worry about it. Short man. But he was a short man. And Jesus was passing by. He climbs up into a tree. You know the story. He climbs up into a tree where he could see Jesus passing by. And Jesus walks up, looks up in the tree, and speaks to him and said, Sir, get yourself down here quickly. Because today I'm going to visit in your home. So he goes to the home of the tax collector, and I mean the religionist, oh man, they working, they, 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 man, I'm going to tell you, the gossip line is rolling. Do what? He is going to go and be in a sinner's home? And Jesus goes and he's there with the tax collector. You know what happens. Now, Master, I want you to know that I've got money. But I'm going to give 50% of everything I have to help the poor. And if I have wronged anybody, I told you he cheated. If I've wronged anybody, I am going to repay them four times the amount. And Jesus looked at him and said, Sir, today salvation has come to your home. Salvation has come to your home. And notice how that chapter closes when they're saying, What's he doing going to a sinner's home? But the story closes. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save the lost. What is it about the tax collector? He realized that there was an opportunity for a better tomorrow. He wasn't happy anymore. Still in taxes, cheating people. He was ready for a better tomorrow. And I want to tell you that that's what the God factor is all about. God used two prophets to speak to a nation and says, Do not make the same mistake that your ancestors made. If you cannot get beyond your past, you'll repeat the past. And the prophets did not want that to happen to the nation. Just return to your God and he will return to you. It's the God factor. My story as a 15-year-old teenager, is because of the God factor. Now, I couldn't explain it to you back in those days, but I can explain it to you today. And that's the difference in each of our lives, regardless of how much turmoil we're in today. There's a God factor that says, you have a better tomorrow. 
at least 20 people lined this front this morning struggling with depression. And I just want to declare over you that came and my wife laid her hands on you. I want to declare to you that today is your God factor. And I'm declaring over you that your tomorrow's better. And your tomorrow morning will not be a morning of drudgery. But it's going to be a morning of hope and a morning of rejoicing. You're not going to give in to your flesh. You're going to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. You have ran into a God factor this morning at Church of Living Water in Fresno, California. And tomorrow is going to be better than today. Hallelujah. Praise His wonderful, wonderful name. Why? Because it's not by might and it's not by power. But it's by my spirit.